Welcome to STEM Four's podcast, Understanding Teen Minds, where we explore the world of teenage mental health, looking at everything from signs and symptoms to early intervention. STEM Four is a charity that promotes positive mental health in teenagers and those who support them. This includes their families and carers, education professionals, as well as school nurses and GPs. STEM Four's mission is to foster the development of good mental health in teenagers by enhancing early understanding and awareness, and providing mental health education and resilience strategies. Join us as we open up the conversation on young people's mental health. Hello, and welcome to STEM Four Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name is Dr. Nahara Krause, and I'm the CEO and founder of STEM4, a teenage mental health charity based in London. I'm also a consultant clinical psychologist with many years of experience in a variety of mental health settings and a passion for improving the mental health of our young people. Eating disorders, anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa and binge eating disorders are complex conditions, as are many of the other forms that eating disorders can present in. However, they all have certain commonalities that are useful for parents and carers to know about and to take those first early identification steps over. So the first is weight. And depending on the form of an eating disorder, there will generally be a loss of weight or a gain of weight, both of concerning amounts. And sometimes in bulimia nervosa, you may have a variation of weight where there might be losses with quite rapid gains in weight. The second is the perception of shape. Now, generally, there's often a distorted perception of shape. It's an overestimation of how they look or an acute dislike of a certain part of their body. There can be variations between people identifying as male or female. In general, females tend to overfocus on their lower body in a negative way and males on their upper body in a negative way. Body dysmorphia or muscle dysmorphia, which is a distortion in the way that body mass is perceived, is common amongst those identifying as male and will often prompt excessive exercise. The third common feature is around eating style. So there will be a change in eating styles at the start and over the course of the disorder. So research indicates that around 90% of people who develop an eating disorder may do this after going on a diet or after a significant weight loss caused by illness. Around 80% of people who develop an eating disorder have very selective eating. Vegetarianism or veganism at the start of the disorder in a very restrictive way is common. But this is very restrictive, often comprising of just salads, grains, with no dressings, no sauces, no fats, no carbs. So very much focused on uh, very low calorie intake. They may also become very preoccupied by food, diets, nutrition, and may take a great deal of interest in cooking for others. 
Eating styles are also very particular. Eating will become very slowed down. They may bulk up with very low calorie food and then say that they are too full to eat higher calorie food. There might be skipping of meals. And for those individuals with body dysmorphia, protein and steroid use is often prevalent. Uh, in a condition called avoidant restricted food intake disorder, uh, eating style is changed because the individual has very uh, significant sensory issues. And that would mean that tastes, textures, the consistency of food can often pose quite considerable indivi uh, individual distress. This type of eating style needs a very specific form of treatment, usually focused around behavioral work. The next factor that is common to eating disorders is the goal that individuals have. The goal is usually one of weight loss, and the ways in which people would attempt this would be to include extreme restriction uh, or extreme exercise. The next feature is around control. So control is something that people with eating disorders will often uh, report on. Usually it will focus on how out of control their weight may be based on what they eat. But the reality is one of feeling out of control in terms of their emotions or in terms of the impact that they may be having or the impact of something else that might be having on them. The most common areas that uh, young people will say they feel out of control over will relate to friendships, achievement, family troubles or changes, experiences of loss and other difficult experiences. The final element that is common to all eating disorders is the physical effect that they have. Physical disorders have a range of physical effects on all major and minor organs of the body. And these include skin, hair, focus and concentration, heart, stomach, temperature regulation, kidneys, and also in terms of puberty. So an eating disorder where there is very low weight will often delay uh, the start of puberty or if puberty has started, will slow down how that progresses in a person. Behaviours that also show physical impact include sleep, emotional regulation, and activity levels. So the first steps for parents and carers to take would be to be aware of some of these symptoms and then to think about how you engage your young person. There are a few things that are useful to keep in mind. First of all, eating disorders are very secret. They are very private worlds. And so it's very difficult to engage a young person in terms of any form of discussion about what might be happening. So I would say the key for parents and carers to keep in mind with this is to keep in mind the very high levels of anxiety that underlie this condition. So when a response from a young person might be seen as defensive or rejecting, see this as fear expressing itself. 
it's also not uncommon to have huge bouts of anger and a pushback in terms of discussion. That again is the protection that the flight or fight response, the anxiety response in the young person will be expressing. So communication needs to be open. Communication needs to acknowledge and recognize that the young person is feeling anxious. It's helpful to provide choices. It's helpful to explore pros and cons rather than debating factually what might be said. And it's also important not to get into some sort of bargaining or negotiation with the eating disorder. So very helpful also for parents in terms of communication is to think about um, relating to the eating disorder rather than necessarily the young person that you know. So it's almost as though the eating disorder takes the shape and a form of its own, changing the predictability of responses of the young person that you know uh, is your son or daughter. So part of dealing with the eating disorder is to manage it with clear boundaries in terms of who does the cooking. So it's helpful for parents and carers to take the cooking away from the young person because the eating disorder will shape how and what is eaten, how it's cooked and how it's eaten in the family. Uh, Have some rules and guidance around what is eaten, the regularity of eating, what's bought and what's stored in the house, particularly if you have got a young person who has binge eating disorder, then you can support the impulse to binge by not having a lot of the the food that is liked readily available. Whilst the treatment of the eating and physical and weight management is important, it's really also helpful to explore underlying or contributory reasons for why the eating disorder is present. So alongside some of the uh, conditions that I mentioned before that might contribute to an eating disorder, so issues such as loss or difficult experiences, um, the most common indicator of why an eating disorder might start and then be maintained is low self-esteem or low self-worth. And that then becomes circular. So a young person doesn't feel very good about themselves. They lose weight. They get lots of compliments, lots of recognition. They feel they've achieved something. They then maintain that in order to boost their self-esteem and self-worth. So ensure, think about how you might connect with recognizing that in your young person and how you might support them in boosting their self-worth. So are the messages about achievement too strong, for example? Have they set perfectionist or impossible goals? How might you help them to engage in something where they feel good and recognized for what they offer? It's extremely important in eating disorders to Um, check out physical needs and risks. And so that means engaging with your GP, ensuring that their blood pressure and their blood tests are taken to make sure their health is in good condition. Check out with your GP what indicates physical risk uh, and when it might be that you need to escalate taking them to A&E, for example. Uh, manage exercise 
it might well be that if uh, body weight is low and there are physical concerns about exertion on a young person's heart, then they may have to stop exercise or have very managed exercise and that will need to be negotiated with school too. Check out on local resources. Keep in mind that our health service will accept the very severe end of the spectrum. But there may well be community eating disorders teams that can be accessed via your GP or via the Children and Adolescent Mental Health Services. If you have any concerns, advocate for your child. So make a case for them, keep searching and keep checking what you can do. You can also connect with other parent and carer groups in the area. Our national organization is BEAT. We've uh, STEM4 have also got a huge number of resources on our website and signposts. Please connect and get as much support as you can for yourself and for your young person. Eating disorders respond very well to early treatment, to early intervention, and also to consistent care and support. They are not short-haul getting better conditions, but they absolutely show a positive outcome with consistency and management and your involvement. I've had a question which says, how do I start a conversation with my teenager about my concerns? They always get angry when I do. So I'm going to run through a typical conversation here. So it might be that you say, I've noticed you haven't joined us for meals recently. And I wonder whether there's anything that might keep you from joining us. And then you might get the angry response. So the young person might then say, I haven't been avoiding food and meals. You're always focusing on what I do wrong. Now, if you then respond to that in terms of pointing out the number of meals the person's missed or uh, the fact that you weren't saying they were doing wrong, you'll immediately get engaged in a confrontation. So what I suggest you do instead is step away from debating about the avoiding food question and instead say something like, Actually, I've been missing your company and contribution to family discussions over meals. They may then say, oh, I've not been joining because I haven't felt like I wanted to talk and join in those things. And therein lies a little key for you. So it might then be that you could say, hmm, sounds like there might be some difficult feelings going on recently. Perhaps we need to kind of just have our meals, just you and I, and see whether we could have a chat about what might be going on and stopping you from joining uh, family meals. So once again, what you're doing there is you are looking for a non-threatening hook. You are looking to identify an emotion that might be going on, and you're trying to avoid getting into an argument or a debate about food and eating. The second question that I have been sent is, why does my child always deny and get annoyed when I find lots of sweet wrappers in their room and challenge them about it? So what I would say is that if you do have a child or young person who is binge eating or secret eating large quantities of food, uh, or indeed if they have got bulimia nervosa or binge eating disorder, 
they may well be feeling out of control of their eating. They may be hoarding food and feeling very bad about that. Uh, They will be feeling like they're doing something bad or naughty and that they may well be told off. So the key element here is the degree of shame that someone feels when they overeat uh, and, and lose control over their eating. So when the feeling is one of shame, in order to engage them, make them recognize, make them feel that as a person, they're valued and that you want to try and understand their behavior because perhaps to try and help them to separate out the the outer control behavior as representing something that they might like to have some help in managing. So don't name and shame it. Don't make a joke of it and say, well, who has five Kit Kats a day? Because all of those things add to already a big feeling of embarrassment and often self-hatred that a person might have about the food that they might be turning to to comfort eat. hope you found today's episode helpful. If you did, then please do leave us a great review wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information, you can find a wealth of resources on our website at stem4.org.uk. And you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at stem4.org. Links to our website and our five free apps designed specifically for young people can be found in podcast description. I hope you'll join us for our next episode. Until then, keep well. Goodbye.